And welcome to the Let's Talk Podcasts. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. And in this episode of Let's Talk, we will be discussing the place of culture and values in business and the need for humanity in today's business world. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Sami Al-Ashrafi, founder and managing director of Marmalade Fish, a business about the power of responsible business as a force for social good. Sami, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Susie, and hi to all your listeners. Marmalade Fish, it was the first certified B Corporation in the GCC and has been named the best organizational change consultancy and change management company of the year. And you have also won the most visionary business transformation and most influential CEO of the year. And you've also recently published your book, Time for Humanity. Wow, what a list of achievements. Congratulations, (laughs) first of all. Thank you. I had a productive lockdown. Yeah, yeah, I can see (laughs) Sammy, we met a couple of years ago now on on these topics of culture, values, and essentially the role of humanity in today's world and business world. And you have dedicated a lot of your career to helping and coaching leaders to make business better and more productive by working on their culture, but also understanding with clarity their values and purpose. This is also obviously a large part of your book, as the title would suggest. But before we come on to that book... Can you tell us a bit about your journey through entrepreneurship and what you learned from that? Absolutely. I write in the book, Susie, it's written. And what I mean by that is I think everything that happens to us happens for us. Mm -hmm. So I found on my journey, it's easier to connect the dots when I look backwards and what (laughs) seems like random moves uh, across my education and career, they kind of make sense now. But it turns out that values, culture, humanity has always been that red or golden thread throughout mm. my life, my career. Mm. And it happened 20 years ago, I took a gap year between school and university. Mm-hmm. I was kind of burnt out after A-levels in the UK. Yeah. And I headed off to Walt Disney World in Orlando as a cultural trainer. <laughs> wow. Came back, studied philosophy and theology, specialised in ethics, wow. and got the opportunity to work with the foreign office. And I was posted to Bucharest where... I was tasked with helping the team to bring ethnic Romanians and Roma together around shared values and culture, okay. which was part of the EU accession. Moved back to the UK, I was walking down the corridor and a gentleman who I was working for, the divisional president at a major airline based in Dubai, stopped me and said, you used to work at Disney, right? And would you believe that conversation saw me being involved in one of the largest values and culture transformation initiatives in the world? Uh, saw the airline go from number nine to number one, according to one of the rankings. And from there, financial services ended up reporting into lead regulators in the UK and US to show that banks were evolving their culture uh, and founded Marmalade Fish, as you say, just over five years ago. So I've never really seen myself as an entrepreneur, uh, (laughs) more of a a person who's enjoying those happy accidents, but living a life of service. I like the happy accident thing. I mean, it shows how small the world is. I think it's getting smaller or more connected, should I say. But it's, the power of connection is is huge. Connection is what humans are wired for, of course. And in your book, Time for Humanity, it is all about connection, isn't it? Absolutely. It's connection to self first and then turning the periscope outwards again to mm. look at how we make that shift from I to we, 
Mm. or as I'm sure we'll talk about during the podcast, from an ego to an ecosystem. But it's all about understanding our collective role in humanity. And Mm. step one is look at ourselves. Yeah, and I I mean, it's a very multi-layered book, easy to read, but there's so much in there. And I love the way you span these different philosophies and cultures and, you know, you you layer the, the different journeys, if you like, from ego to eco so you start with the individual from past to present to future and then you mix it with real life case studies and experiences it was for me it was a real call to action a call to action I already have but it was a real wake-up call in the fact that we need to act now and we need to act in a more humane and, and deliberate way in terms of bringing humanity into business is this what you intended the book to be yeah I, I think so I have this sense that we're all trying our best to show up. Yeah. And what I'm trying to suggest in the book is, when you think about your humanity, we're born with everything that we need. And so rather than learning, it's more unlearning (laughs) or learning, if you like. Mm. You'll notice from the book cover, it's multi-layered versus inside uh, the person. It's Mm. because maybe if we were to peel off some layers and go inwards to become more humane, to honour what it means to show up with humanity. Mm. It's not really about learning anything new. I think it's just going back to our core. Mm. I think it's also about making the unconscious conscious, isn't it? And then, as with everything that you make conscious, we I talk a lot about unconscious bias. Once you've made it conscious, what do you do with it? And that, for me, was the real learning of Time for Humanity was, I've been back on this journey, and I've been to get what I knew I had, but wasn't conscious and then now what do I do with it I mean the need for conscious leadership is becoming clearer and I see organizations and leaders every day struggling with what that means for them as individuals but also for for their organizations what inspired you to write about conscious leadership and why now well why now because every change curve or change model starts with step one creating the urgency or platform for change yeah And so I sense this awareness has been emerging since probably earlier this century, Mm. uh, as the title of the book would suggest, the time is now. And people are craving more conscious leadership, deeper and more meaningful connections, greater authenticity. Mm. My fear, and fear perhaps is too strong a word, but it's something, a word related to fear, is from the tragedies that we've experienced this year. And I think with suffering economies, we will continue to Mm. experience for the foreseeable future. Mm. Let's come together and let's make something out of the opportunity. Mm. Because I think our collective role in creating a more inclusive, equitable, regenerative economic system for all people on the planet has never been more important than it is now. And it's pushed us to this point where we are challenged to change ourselves. I agree. And I also think we're challenged to change ourselves, but we need to understand inclusion first for me. I I work a lot on this subject, as you know, and and I see it's often treated as like a dashboard subject within organisations of diversity statistics or something that needs to be done. And for me, it's about culture, it's mindset, it's you know, in David Foster Wallace's words, culture is to humans what water is to fish. Uh, I love that quote that you use in the uh, in the book. And that is what inclusion is. It's not just about statistics and it's not just about equal opportunities. It's about humanity and understanding 
what we share and what makes us different and how we can use that positively. What, what do you see happening in, in inclusion? Absolutely. Well, I love that, Susie, because we have many definitions of culture. Yeah, of course. As you're speaking, you said inclusion followed by culture shortly afterwards. And mm. I guess that's where I'm landing on some insights at the moment. If somebody asked me, what really is a healthy culture? I would say it's an inclusive one mm. that honors the dignity of everybody, which in my mind is humanity. Mm-hmm. And I think that the digital age confronts us with one of the most important questions of all, which it seems after 200,000 years, we're still unprepared to tackle. And that is, what does being human mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think it enables collaboration in inverted commas. And I put it in inverted commas because it enables us to collaborate via platforms, via tools. And and I remain convinced that it makes humanity and the human element of collaboration even more relevant and even more important. And for me, that needs to be put into the culture. And only if you go to conscious leadership, I mean, you define the five characteristics as self-awareness, global curiosity, empathy, collaboration, and alignment. And I think we're struggling today with how to put that empathy into place and how to understand that we need to focus on what keeps us human as opposed to the new technologies coming in. Yeah, and I say in the book, empathy is about realising that we are all connected. Yeah, yeah. And so rather than standing back and holding on to our opinions too strongly mm-hmm. and perhaps judging other people, mm-hmm. and often we judge with good intentions because we think there is a right and wrong and a yes and no, but what I find is there's 7.8 billion different perspectives, beliefs out there, and that mm-hmm. is the beauty of humanity. So if we're able to become more empathetic then we'll start to create the lasting relationships, which is going to allow us to become more collaborative. At a rational level, we know that partnerships are required in the future of leadership. We talk about innovation and complex systems, but conscious leaders, I suggest, they've mastered the art of broadening and deepening the definition of a problem, or Mm. if you like, because I know that you're a design thinking expert, (laughs) beneath the problem, yet all the parties who are needed to come together and commit to participating in the process. So the five characteristics of conscious leaders that I mentioned, of course there are more, but these are the ones of over 20 years and different geographies and different sectors. These are the ones that I've noticed are always present in Mm. the leaders who I've encountered. Mm. And I think design thinking is, is a good example because it brings tangible methods, processes and tools, but is above all a mindset for me. Uh, yeah. And it's an, it's an inclusive one. <laughs> but often we see it being used just at the rational process tool level. And it reminds me of the place that I see culture getting uh, in organizations today and in transformation packages. It's seen as a given or a work package or something that will just happen. So for me, it's often the part in, in transformation programs that gets underestimated or neglected altogether because it isn't seen as a tangible deliverable. What's your view on that and what do you observe going on in organisations on this subject? Oh, it absolutely is a mindset and Mm. it takes longer. I believe everything we do in leadership as a verb comes at a cost, but if we reframe some of that to an investment, Mm. I say in the book of the characteristics of conscious leaders that conscious leaders go deeper Mm. And they spend time seeking out, actively seeking out divergent views. Mm. They avoid words like no 
or we tried that already, or it won't work in X country, you know, kind of fill in the blank. Yeah. Yeah. And instead they go, thank you, and I hear you, or I don't share that perspective, or allow me to share why my perspective is different. Mm. So eventually it is getting alignment around particularly the values and the culture of the organization. But it's asking the why, the what if, and tapping into the creativity that can emerge from interns, if mm. you're thinking to business level, mm. all the way through to we're now in a four or five generation workforce with AI. Yes. And all those stakeholders, to, I said earlier, to participate to something that's bigger than ourselves. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, global curiosity, empathy, you can have self-awareness and still not know how to practice global curiosity and empathy. And we're back to the multi-layered discussion of, you know, staying in a place of, of ego or going to a place of service, which is a more eco-collective uh, position. How do you see organizations trying to map out that journey? I think I would go back to the beginning of our conversation where I say it doesn't need to be huge or grand gestures. Okay. So if I focus on the individual leaders who are listening to your podcast, mm. I really think this is as simple as saying good morning to somebody who you usually don't say good morning to. I think it's as simple as holding the door for one person extra a day. Mm. I speak about in my TED talk for one degree shift at the end. And what I mean by that is we all see the iceberg ahead. Mm. If we can just make a one degree shift now, we will sail safely by. And that one degree shift perhaps is putting your phone away in meetings or something that I was very guilty of, using my phone in elevators and lifts or as yeah. I walk between meetings. Yeah. And then just starting with, hi, okay, let's get started. Yeah. Rather than just spending a little bit of time to become mindful and to, mm. if you like inverted commas, to land. So it's sending a message of thanks that you don't usually. Yeah. It's sharing your perspective last or changing some of the language that you use so that mm. you adopt another's internal frame of reference and thereby open the possibility of real conversation. And, and I think that's particularly relevant now, isn't it, when everybody's working more virtually than they were before. I mean, I know personally I had to really discipline myself to turn everything off on my screen apart from the Zoom meeting and to put my phone away. And because it's so easy to just get distracted and, you know, digital distraction for me is almost the enemy of humanity. And the fact that you can be connected in a technical way, you can be connected 24-7, uh, you can be distracted 24-7. but I think the biggest challenge today is to make oneself present before yeah. you can even think about future focusing uh, with a team or even individually. I, I share that perspective, Susie, because I, again, and it's a one degree shift thing. Mm. Before our podcast, I switched my Wi-Fi off and I, um, <laughs> for my telephone, I mean, mm. so that I would uh, not get any messages. And then I decided actually that wasn't enough. I needed the phone to be in a different room. And mm. these are the very small things that we can do on a daily basis. And it makes a difference because it builds connection between human beings. Mm. And when you do that, I always say, when we express our humanity, we are far more likely to feel it. Mm. So we talk about truly seeing and hearing people. And if we do that, we know from research that it's more likely that our people will live their values and do the right thing, which of course is good for the bottom line. Mm. So if we're able to start with those small one degree things, it is going to have a huge impact later on. As I said before, this stuff might not be as immediate or short term 
as we're used to in this busy, hyper-connected digital world that we now find ourselves in. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. And I, I think that basically we need to learn from these observations of what is necessary today. And just to come back a little bit in the discussion, I, I loved your observation that it's simple. Yeah. Because, of course, change is not simple, but change is complex because humans are complex. Millions of euros, dollars get invested in leadership development, in transformation initiatives. But the sustainable part of human-related change is essentially about small is beautiful. And I don't know how organizations can break it down to such a level and run it through an organization. I don't see many organizations taking the human dimension into account right from the beginning and accepting what you say, that it's going to take time. So it's not a project and it won't be done in six months, and, yeah. but you can make a lot of headway in six months if you have individual agents of change with a sense of purpose. That's, that's my belief. Yeah, individual agents of change, or if a company prefers to call them champions or ambassadors or key influencers, these are the people who are not necessarily senior in designation, but they hold power in the system. Mm -hmm. And I say in the book, remember, organizations do not transform, people do. It's us. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's one of the shifting paradigms of leadership is that the definition has to be, or the hypothesis has to be, if leadership equals impact, then we have a lot more leaders in the organization than we see on an organization chart. I I couldn't agree more. Every single person listening to this podcast is a leader. And I mean, in their home, street, community, university, team, or business. Mm. Mm. I'm not sure we are all demonstrating conscious leadership as a verb. And by us all, I mean everyone on earth, myself. Mm. There is an opportunity to recognize we're all leaders. And today, what is one thing I can do to be more conscious, even if it's a simple five-minute thing? Yeah, and that was why I I talked about a wake-up call that I got from your book, because the call to action is there. And for me, I have that call to action, but I was thinking, okay, the wake-up call was, am I am I doing it? (laughs) Am I doing it? I'm telling myself I'm doing it, but am I really um, enhancing my conscious leadership on a daily basis to have as much impact as possible? And I loved your statement, the problem is us and therefore the opportunity is us. I just just want to take that for a while. What, What does that mean for you and for leadership going forward? Well, Susie, I think today we find ourselves at this moment of choice. And when we look at the entire set of disconnects as a whole system, what I'm suggesting is that we see ourselves. It is we who burn resources beyond the capacity of our planet to regenerate them. Mm -hmm. It is we who participate in economic arrangements and replicate the income divide and that consumerism and burnout bubble. So if that seems quite high level, then it is me who presses one click because it's convenient rather than supporting my local store and Mm -hmm. walking five or 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Or it is me that might make a just this one's decision not to live my values in a given moment, which has this creep towards a poor morality. So what I'm suggesting is, I've heard COVID-19 described as a once in a century event. And I know that the meaning of the word catastrophe in ancient Greek is turning point. Mm. What I'm saying is it's time for this world ship, which has been steaming along in a certain direction, to stop Mm. and alter its course. And I think this is the moment when humanity comes together to make that shift. Mm -hmm. How much consciousness do you see around that? 
it's a great question. The podcast that you're doing mm. helps bring back consciousness. Mm. The pauses that we have in our day, even as I say for five or 10 minutes, for me, brings awareness. Another word for awareness is consciousness. Mm. I think we all recognize that the time is now and humanity is such a beautiful thing for us to celebrate. Mm. And I also recognize that it's challenging. 95% of the population, they say, are not innovators. It is normal for people to resist change. Mm -hmm. And that's why I come back to this message around, rather than thinking that we need to do something, it's more appealing off It's more a turning. I'm not saying that we're regressing. We have to honor where we are in 2020 and beyond. Mm -hmm. But from this moment, there's something we can do to look inwards. Mm -hmm. And if you had one piece of advice for leaders trying to navigate the shift from ego to eco, what would it be? It's a powerful question. It's more of a question to your listeners. Mm. If you will not step up, then who will? Mm-hmm. And if not now, then when? And what about if they step up into an organisational culture where they're the only one stepping up? So I suppose my question is, if you had a piece of advice for organisations collectively trying to navigate this shift from ego to eco, what would it be? Well, culture is built through shared learning and experience. Mm-hmm. And so it only takes one to yeah. step out from the crowd. So if you find yourself as a listener of this podcast being the one who wants to sit on the periphery of the system, the one who has the courage to bring consciousness, which is part of being a human being to work, Mm. then be sure that very quickly new norms will be created and they might be spoken or unspoken, which is another one of the definitions of culture. And eventually people will follow. So I imagine beacons of light around the world And I would encourage anybody, shine your light because people will gravitate to it, particularly during these very challenging times. Mm. And I think there's a a lot of, well, we've already said there's power and connection, but this is what I did when I was in an organisation and I see it happening more and more. And this is, for me, is the way forward. You can go and get like-minded people, even if you're sitting on the periphery. And as you say, eventually that momentum for change becomes a voice and a voice that gets amplified, amplified, and then until it is in the system. And once it's in the system, I think then you can start looking at how do we enact that change and what does it mean for our culture? Absolutely. And we know that, again, it has a big impact on the bottom line. Mm-hmm. In our work, we suggest, but don't focus necessarily on the results. We know all organisations are looking to be more innovative, better financials, to survive a challenging economic situation, Mm. higher productivity. But Mm. if we start somewhere else, and I love the quote from the late Herb Kelleher, who said of his airline Southwest, competitors can buy tangible assets, but (laughs) can't buy culture. So if we do nothing more than on the podcast today, Mm. press pause and examine some of the cultural blind spots that sit in our system, then this will have, in the medium to long term, a positive impact on your team, business, company. I read a good article from Harvard Business Review on fast and slow. So fast strategy and slow strategy, which was talking exactly about that. You know, less is more. Sometimes you do need to slow down to speed up. 
but that's hard in the fast-paced delivery environments that we work in. And I think in terms of digital, that's only making it faster and more exponential. So for those organizations that are working, particularly in the tech sector where it moves incredibly quickly, what would your advice be to taking that step back? I think it's a great question because it brings the conversation back to a real space of how people face challenges on a day-to-day basis. Mm. I think if we know everybody seems to be craving something, and we also said that you might be the one person who is the beacon of light, then start by having conversations. When I talk about leaders as coaches or leaders as facilitators, I mean changing some of the language to make sure that people can start, maybe not tomorrow or maybe next week's meeting, they don't speak up, or a month from now they might say, yeah, you know, her idea or what we said before. But eventually people are always scanning. If the leaders can start to make a small shift now, a week, a month from now, people will start to come along. And if we know that it's important to become more reflective and the more that we pause, it improves our decision-making. We have our finger, if you like, our hands on different dials, the different stakeholders, which takes time. Mm then our decision-making will never be perfect, but we'll find ourselves making the least bad decision more often. Mm. Sammy, thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts with us and sharing a little bit of your book, because there's so much in that book. I would thoroughly recommend that you read it. It's an easy read, although it's, it's multi-layered and full of, uh, full of wisdom, I think, and what I call raw purpose. So thank you very much for putting it out there. Thank you so much. And Susie, I have... Uh, the delight that you read it in one day on the <laughs> beach. On the beach. Where were you that day? I was in Portugal on the beach. Oh, how lovely. Yeah. Well, thank yeah. you for inviting us and thanks to all your listeners. Yeah. Thank you all. And we hope you enjoyed this episode. And if so, please head over to iTunes and give us your review and opinion. So it's bye for me from now and see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk. <laughs>